welcome back to the Don the Streaming Podcast. We are your host, Unchristian Aniket, and today we're joined by a very special guest. She is a young entrepreneur whose goal is to inspire young women and minorities in STEM. She is a Generation Google Scholar and the founder of Pinkstream, an initiative that provides free resources to educate, motivate, empower, and inspire young women in STEM. So let's go ahead and get started. Welcome to the show, Rida Bayraktar. Please introduce yourself. Yeah. Thank you for having me. It's an honor to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, what have you been doing these last couple of months, you know, with all this free time? Yes, it was crazy last semester. We transitioned to online education. And then I had hard computer science classes, those transitioned. And everyone pivoted to new things, new methods of teaching, new platforms and so many new things, it was very hard to keep up. But now I feel more comfortable having online education for like, I don't know how long it has been, it has been like eight months or something. So I hope it gets better every day and we keep learning, keep going for our goals and keep, keep to, keeping to pursue our passion. Did you find anything new these past couple of months, like hobbies or passions or something new that you didn't know you had an interest in before the pandemic? Yes. So in my childhood, I really liked doing art. Like I would draw pictures for my parents very frequently and they would be super happy. And then I would be happy as well. I like, I like everyone. I like making people happy. And then since then, I think that sparked an interest of me in the arts and in high school, in middle school, it was not encouraged. Like, like we're we're all encouraged to study because of the education system. And I haven't been exploring that for a very long time. When I came to UNC through the Beam Makers Places, I rediscovered my passion in art and started there. And then during the pandemic, I explored new. Uh, art styles like I have been doing crochet and then cross stitch which helped me a lot with practicing mindfulness because it has been a very busy and hard semester and they really helped me calm down and bring me back to the world and then also creating a piece of art is really satisfying and <laughs> makes me very really happy and proud of myself even though they might not be <laughs> very high quality yeah no I, I shared this earlier but um me and me and my sister we're also very artistic people but we're uh, like my parents say that I, you know, I've got a skill for art but I'm also a very lazy person and so when I when I you know draw or do something I put all my effort in and sometimes it's so draining that I, I can't continue with it but when I do do it I feel very relieved and it's like yeah. a stress reliever um, Yes, but of course, definitely. amidst the pandemic, I've, it's come across my mind a couple of times, but I never got around to actually painting <laughs> or drawing just because it's so much time and like effort. Yeah. I, yeah. I, we were having a conversation like right before the podcast. We were talking about how um, I, I used to be, a, you know, big into drawing back in middle school where I would draw portraits of my friends. I drew a portrait of my grandpa on his birthday uh, to surprise him. And he, that was like one of the, like, the big memories I have of him. Um, that he was, you know, very happy to see. Like I drew him basically almost perfectly. I think I, I think I had his lips 
kind of too big. So he was like, oh, the lips kind of look too big, but everything else is pretty <laughs> perfect. Um, but I do remember, you know, drawing Gandhi one time and uh, I was telling uh, Rita about like how I just could not like figure out how to draw like the, the bald head with the circle. Like, you know, it was just really hard to get, <laughs> get it perfect. So like, when you like see the drawing, you just see the upper half, it's like all smooshed up and like you can see pencil marks everywhere. And like at the bottom half with the glasses and the face, it was like almost perfect. So I, I have good memories. And uh, you know, you talked about like mindfulness and uh, one of the things like I've been practicing lately is, uh, you know, doing mind- mindfulness either through meditation or through working out, whether that's like going on a run or uh, getting some sort of exercise in. Um, obviously, you know, with the pandemic, I think, mindfulness is one of the things that's extremely important to have mm-hmm. um just just to get a peace of mind but also to be present because i think it's it's very hard to be overwhelmed like especially when you go on twitter and you're looking at all the trending stuff that's happening you know like people are you know dying everywhere and just lots of insane things happening on negativity. a daily basis yeah there's a lot of negativity uh everywhere and a lot of negativity spreads very very quickly yeah. And uh, and it's one of those things like I had to like cut off Twitter completely because I was just like, I just cannot deal with so much, uh, you know, negativity and drama all the time. This is just not the time and place for me, you know, so. Yes, definitely. And yeah. beyond being there being negative things, I think the thing that hurts more is that there are so many negative things, but you can't really do anything to solve for them. So you constantly add 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 negative things to your mind but you can't solve any of them and that just adds up on top of and then that's why i just don't look into the news or anything as well and just try to focus on problems that i can maybe solve Mm -hmm. and have a positive impact on even though they bring some negativity i at least am satisfied and pleased that i can have a positive impact in that direction yeah, it's interesting we bring up this topic, right? So this this year, unlike any other year, my parents have actually seen me in stressful times during like, you know, exams and finals and all that stuff. And my mom's been preaching like, you know, do some meditation for like God, God knows however long, right? Now, because of the pandemic, she's gotten more involved than ever. Like she'll do yoga every morning. She'll tell me to do it with her and I'll just never do it. <laughs> so um my my way of being mindful before the pandemic was, you know, exercising and lifting weights and doing stuff like that. But now, um, because I'm stuck in my house, I can't go lifting weights. Uh, if I, it just feels weird, you know, being at home and doing like exercises. Like I'd like walking there and then walking back from the gym, but mm-hmm. but it just doesn't have that same feel when you're at home. So my like in UNC campus, I feel like the best mindfulness was I was living in South Campus. same so i think at unc one of the biggest things to practice mindfulness was to walk from campus after a long day back to south campus and then feeling that campus environment the people and just the vibe of being on campus (laughs) i have missed that a lot and i really feel that's not happening right now it's really sad yeah no same like When I, like, for example, if I took an exam on campus, right, I'd have like that whole walk back to my dorm or to the cafeteria or to the gym where I could just appreciate nature and just ponder like, you know, what is my life and like have these existential thoughts and stuff. And 
it really calmed my mind in a sense. But when I'm at home, it's like I'm constantly in front of a screen or mm. if I'm not watching a video on YouTube or like watching a movie, I'm just finding ways to distract myself and you don't get to enjoy that peacefulness and that quietness right. of just being on campus. And it's also like energizing, right? So you see people doing so many different things on campus, whether it be like playing an intramural sport or just hanging out, chilling on the quad, people your age. <laughs> so that experience, man, I, I miss that so much and I can't wait for us to get yeah. back to that in like a year from now. Yes, I miss it too. Um, I wanted to actually ask about, so I've listened to a couple podcasts about entrepreneurs and I think one of the things that entrepreneurs love to do is find a place where they can have the best quality of ideas. Um, so even big founders, uh, you know, whether that's men or women have talked about, some of them talked about going on long drives or walking, you know, taking a walk in the park. Do you think like just walking around Carolina or just doing anything mindful, do you think is that the time for you when you have the most creative ideas just, you know, flowing in into your brain? Yes, I think uh, I really agree on that. Like ideas in some moments and in some situations, really ideas rush into your mind. And walking is definitely a good time for that because while walking, you either think about nature or you think about <laughs> your homework assignments, the next thing you're doing, or you think about like random ideas and it's really productive. Also, um, I think before sleeping, uh, most people look into their phones and stuff, which really prevents us from that transition from like a life into like a sleep and in that transition you go through many layers and then going through that you could have very big ideas but we're preventing that with our screens i'm trying to not look at my screens before i go to sleep so that i can allow that transition to be naturally and really feel relieved of the ideas and stress i had during the day and also allow new ideas coming in and also I think uh, as a Muslim, I'm praying like five times a day. And after my prayers, I sit and in that moment, I feel really empowered. And also I feel a, a rush of ideas as well to solve the problems of the world, because that is why we are here as humans to make leave the, the world better than we found it as. So those are the places of inspiration for me. Carolina campus generally is an, an inspiring place. Like any moment there, I feel like it's a great place to ideate and bounce ideas. Yeah, and find people that you know share similar interests. It's yeah. interesting that you bring up the um, like the coming up with ideas before you go to bed, right? That's mm -hmm. kind of how we came up with our podcast. I know we keep on alluding <laughs> to it, but it was just one night I was laying in bed. I just keep on having these crazy thoughts, right? I always have them. Um, it's, it's a talking point that we have in every episode. But basically, I was like, hey, I really want to start a podcast, but I don't know who to reach out to because there's not many people who would be comfortable in this space. And so I messaged Uncush at like one o'clock, two o'clock at night, and he <laughs> messaged back so fast. And it was just like, you know, there's an instant click. Yeah, you know those stories of entrepreneurs who just had something click all of a sudden and it just worked out? That was it was like, at the aha moment, you know? I was like, oh my gosh, we're having, we're having a moment. So that's something I'll probably remember for the rest of my life. Definitely. Night owls really create some ideas. I can second time that I'm a night owl too. And after like 1 a.m., 
it is such a productive time it just comes into your mind it's amazing yeah but it's like a different kind of productive for, for me at least it's like i yeah. can't study and i can't like do homework at one o'clock at night but i can't think of the most random things that i would never have thought of <laughs> had i had proper sleep and been like fresh you know it's a it's a funny meme um you i mean i'm pretty sure like rita knows but like in the comp world people always talk about like you know, when we have like our comp sci like projects to do, we always work at night because like our solutions, we always come up with it at like 3 a.m. in the morning because that's like the best time when our brain is dead. <laughs> and like the solution just comes out of nowhere. It's like, I don't know. It's like, I think it's the fact that we, we're just using like this one part of our brain the whole time that one part of our brain just goes like, all right, bro, we're just going to give up. And then the other part is like, bro, what are you doing? I got this. And then you just have the answer right there. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, my recipe to being active late night is like last week, I've been doing pull-ups at one o'clock at night, thinking that I'm going to get my body tired, but instead I just get an adrenaline rush and then just start having the most random thoughts. You know, you were talking about, um, you know, I think it's really cool that you took your passion and, uh, you know, and your creativity, and then you just kind of turn it into a startup. Mm -hmm. uh, this is not typical, you know, like, especially, um, you know, I'm, I'm an Indian and any kids Indian and you're also, you know, we all kind of fall in the same particular realm uh, that we follow like the traditional medical lawyer or engineering route. Uh, did you ever envision yourself like, you know, starting a startup? Uh, I mean, when did you know you were ready to jump outside of the tradition and do something different? Yes. So, I think it was after I decided to get into computer science because first, before I moved into computer science, it was, uh, so before high school, I always thought of this uh, stereotypical computer scientist who is like a white boy and then he's like boring, doesn't talk a lot and then codes all day, wears like that sweatshirt. And then I said, no, that is definitely not my thing and I'm not going to do that. So for such a long time, I never even considered doing anything related to computers because I was like, I hate computers. This is disgusting. They don't work. I would get angry very quick if something doesn't work, stuff like that. So when I come to high school, though, I get into our robotics team and then there I really fall into computers. I fall in love with computer science and I really like coding, the logic behind it, and especially creating new things because I've mentioned that I like art because you create a product and you're proud of the product at the end. And in the process, you think, you create new ideas and build something. And that is, I find arts and computer science in that way really similar because you think, you put your creativity into it and then create a product at the end. So, then I like really love coding and then work and then I still look into the computer science careers but they don't really pull me in because like you go into a big company or a small company doesn't really matter they give you a task and you do that coding it might be it might be satisfying that you solve a problem but it wasn't really what I'm looking for I'm looking for solving problems and independently doing the things I love and therefore that pushed me towards entrepreneurship and starting my own business and tackling the problems of the world from there rather than coding 
<laughs> like I said in the beginning, like a stereotypical computer scientist. Now, it's interesting you bring that up. My, my impression of ComSci before I came to UNC was entirely based on my uncle, right? So he, he came from India and he was working here. Um, he'd worked for a couple of big organizations and, you know, his work didn't really seem like something I'd personally enjoy. But over the last couple of years, he's kind of taken more of a leadership role. And I've seen all of the different things that can come out of ComSci. Um, and another thing I found interesting was that I was also involved in my school's robotics team in high school. Um, unlike you, I didn't necessarily turn that into a possible career path. Rather, it's just like tools that I use in my, my everyday life. So, for example, this past summer when I started the hydroponics thing, um, I basically had to build the system by hand. So, you know, I had to cut holes in the buckets, build a table, build the irrigation system and all that. And all of that knowledge from robotics came in handy for that purpose wow. so it's it's nice to see that you know we both were able to take something from robotics and turn it into something productive yes you mentioned that like um i think i saw in the in the unc article that out of about the 100 boys you were pretty much like the only girl on the team mm-hmm. um like do you want to talk a little bit about like uh you know were you in any any way like treated differently from the main students in the team um, did you ever felt like an imposter then? Or do you also feel like an imposter right now being in the STEM field since it's so vast? And and how do you think like diversity could help in CompSci to add to that? Yes. That's, that's, a, that's a lot of big questions. <laughs> yeah, so, so take your time. Yes, okay. So I can like tackle that one by one slowly. Yeah. yeah. I answer all of them. So uh, being the only girl in the team, Actually, the backstory on that is that first, a beginning off, I wasn't the only girl. There were like two, three girls in the hundred boys, and then uh, in just a few weeks, like two, three weeks into the program, the girls uh, quit the program because they thought that they would never be able to catch up with the boys. They didn't like the subject, etc. Because uh, it was so that girls didn't have the experience working with robots before while the boys played with Legos in their childhood, played with cars, had a lot of knowledge playing with video games. All of these things build up. I, when I started coding, I didn't know control C, control V to copy paste. When I learned this, this was like a huge wow aha moment. I remember that too. <laughs> and I was like starting from that that level and people were like, Playing video games, knew all the shortcuts and knew so many things, made amazing projects beforehand. And it was really hard as a woman to build your confidence in that environment that you could somehow catch up with them. So the other girls weren't able to build that confidence and create that passion in them. So probably they dropped off because of that. And I can see how they did. And they are one of the reasons why I started Pinkstream so that girls have the exposure before they come into a robotics team maybe so that they don't feel like an imposter there or they don't feel that they would not be able to accomplish. They feel as as well as the boys, they feel knowledgeable about the topic and they feel that they can tackle new subjects. So... After that, the girls went away, and I'm the only girl in the team. And then 
I generally work by myself because like everyone has their own groups of friends working together and then I'm there working by myself. But I think this actually turned into an opportunity because through that my teacher was able to work more with me because I was there, the lonely girl (laughs) hanging around and he helped me more on like catching me up and that really pushed me and he gave me a lot of passion and taught really the logic behind it and he he as my mentor was one of the biggest reasons I kept going into computer science otherwise I might have also lost my confidence and I believe that those small people you come across in your life you might have these people as well those are the people that really make a change it's not a course you get involved or a school that you go I think that is that one person that changes your life a lot and Mm-hmm. Uh, I got that passion from my that that mentor, and I am aspiring to be that one person in just one person's life that would make a huge difference and would be worth all of my efforts for Pink Stream. Do you have any like uh, valuable lessons that stand out? Yes. So the biggest lessons are not the ones that are told, I guess, but the ones that are shown and then experienced. Especially, I learned a lot through my cohort uh, friend uh, in the entrepreneurship center in entrepreneurship programs at UNC. We generally have cohort and we have the mentors and then in the cohort there's different projects and I learned so many from my cohort uh, teams. One of the valuable lessons is that in entrepreneurship, generally, like the stuff we put on LinkedIn, the articles, podcasts, always we show our success and we seem very happy people on the outside, I guess. But working in the cohorts, uh, I saw that it's actually really hard to be an entrepreneur, experiencing this my, myself and seeing this happening to other people was very comforting. And the biggest uh, thing there is to be always positive, keep up your energy. It's hard, but getting support from people that would really understand you, it's hard to find those people, but always hold on to those people and follow them because they are your actual guides. If you follow people that always criticize you, find your work like stupid or whatever it is, you will be dragged into holes that you will never be able to get out of mentally. So the cohort members really taught me a lot personally and in my personal development, I guess. That's interesting you bring up, you know, finding people who motivate you. For for the longest time, right, even in college, at, in the start of it, you, I always find people that I'm I'm a guy that comes with crazy ideas all the time, right? Mm-hmm. So I'd approach different people with these ideas, and the ones that just never entertained them, or just like, what is this crazy kid doing? It would it would drive me away completely. But something that I've learned over the years is one, I need to surround myself with the right people, and two, yes. if I know that this is something that truly interests me, there's nothing in the world that can stop me from completing what I set out to do. Do, right yeah. so those 
those sources of motivation and just having a chip on my shoulder, right? Like anytime anybody ever gives me criticism that doesn't help me or is just trying to hold me back, I use that as like another source of motivation or something to be like, ha, when I do this and I prove all of you wrong, I'm going to make sure that like, like I'm going to make sure I prove you all wrong. And when I'm successful, I'm not going to be a jerk about it, but it'll be in the back of my mind. Like you all, said this about me and didn't believe in me and here I am and I think kind of what lends to my I guess confidence is watching all these youtubers I know I know it sounds crazy and stupid but some of these youtubers who are leading the industry right now I mean they're doing so many different things in so many different fields Uh, this is probably gonna sound childish but like KSI for example he's a boxer he's a musician and he uploads videos just people like that right it's like why do I have to be tied down to one career when I can be doing so many different things? And, and like they have tons of haters who will tell them that they, they can't do it. And so I'm here going, what makes them different from me? Like I can do everything that they're doing if I put my mind to it. And that's kind of something that I've learned across any YouTuber in any space ever. Yes, definitely. And like one of the, like, so I was going to actually mention, I've mentioned this before. Um, I was also a part of Launch Up a Hill and um, we were making an, an, uh, a food livria that uh, didn't really end up working out because obviously the school never really opened and two, we never got a lot of support from UNC. So like I can definitely, you know, you talked about the biggest lessons that you've learned is like lessons that are shown in experience and not just talked about. I think that's mm-hmm. something like I can definitely relate to. And like the other thing is like, uh, you know, back to what Anike was saying. Um, I think, you know, there's a lot of talk about people talk about, oh, I don't even know if college is worth it at this point because you can pretty much learn anything online. You know, if I want to do real estate, uh, I can just go to, you know, Udemy, Coursera, YouTube, uh, just pick, you know, start learning topics about real estate. Um, I worked for, for a startup with Amazon Web Services. I've never worked with it before. I worked with HTML. I never, I've like never taken a class before and I learned both of them through YouTube. Um, so, you know, like there's just endless possibilities. You can pretty much like, if you have a crazy idea, uh, you, you know, you can really make it happen if you set your mind to it. But again, I think what really distinguish the doer versus who's like thinking about it is, you know, like who's being lazy and who's not being lazy. If you actually like put the effort and like, you know, pick up the pen and like start writing down what you need to do, Versus someone that's thinking about it is like, uh, that sounds like a lot of work. Um, I think that's, you know, that's what really distinguishes you. And the other thing about, like you talked about, having a, a good circle of communities and friends, I think that's also very important because criticism is important, right? You want people to tell you honestly, you know, if they think something might not work out, but at the same time, you don't want just negative people. You don't want someone that actually doesn't wish well for you, right? Yeah, yeah you, you want, want someone that's- Constructive feedback, right? Right. Like you want someone that's more honest, uh, more constructive uh, towards giving good feedback because they want to see you succeed and improve. And uh, it's, it's, it's really hard to find those friends. Like I was, uh, for the past couple of months, like I've actually had to, you know, cut off a lot of people and just, I keep my circle very tight and small now because I just found out that, you know, there are some people that I just want to be acquaintances with and uh, obviously I'll be nice to them. And uh, I think they're cool people, but just for me, for my energy, they're just not, the best people to be around you know yes and with some people your energy matches and you just feel comfortable with them somehow and others 
even if they're like good people, they give like good feedback, but sometimes that energy does not fit and somehow you just fade away from each other. So really I feel that energy and especially in realms of curatism, I feel like it's important for people to understand that you don't need to criticize everything. You can just say, oh, that's awesome and just pass away because sometimes people are really not asking for your criticism. They're just asking for your empowerment. If you just give them that empowerment, not the criticism, it might be much more helpful. Yeah, no, I feel that. And and did you have trouble finding people within that space of, you know, computer science who shared these similar ideas with you and your your perspective? Because obviously, you know, Ankush was talking about it and you were talking about it as well. You were the only girl for some time within a class of 100 people. So were you able to find girls outside of, say, UNC who had similar interests as you? I think there's a lot of people who share similar interests, uh, not only about women, but also in increasing diversity in STEM. And there are many organizations and things going around to break these stereotypes and bring more diversity. So I really feel that there are people that are passionate about this topic, but uh, it is still hard to like build the uh, build your own confidence and build your I don't know how to what was it build your reputation on top of other people so that they really believe that you are the one that you can do this so I have had a hard time like not I feel like at UNC especially the faculty and staff we have amazing faculty and staff any mentor any staff everyone have been empowering not discouraging and always giving positive feedback but among the students everyone has different life journeys and everyone has different experience so not always people might be interested or like uh, believing in your work but yeah, overall, you... i really had a positive experience at unc and i feel like we have to have an awesome environment here yeah well, i think one of the best things I actually do like by UNC is just the, the community does bond really well. And I think everyone mm -hmm. in the community, um, I, I, I have like advices from UNC. Uh, one of my advisors, shout out to Josh Lotz. Uh, he works, he worked for Google for eight to 10 years. And uh, I remember, um, you know, taking my resume with him a couple months ago and everyone like I talked to was like, Oh, your resume looks amazing. It's great. But I wasn't landing any jobs. Right. And next thing I do is like, I take it to him and he's like, what is this garbage? Change this to this. Like, you know, you gotta, this looks like a kitchen sink. And I appreciate that. Like, you know, it wasn't just like a bad criticism. It was just like his honest reaction to, he's like hired, you know, 600 over, I don't know, like a thousand people in his whole, like whole time. Like he knows what, you know, attracts recruiters and what doesn't. So I did exactly what he told me to do. And the next thing I know is like, I got to, you know, I have a job landing at Amazon that I'm starting in June. So that's very exciting, right? Um, yes. So call out to Josh again <laughs> because he helped me a lot with my resume. As yeah, well. Josh is great. Resume yeah. is especially like a harsh topic to deal with because mm -hmm. it's about everything you did in your life. And if you don't do it with the right people, it really feels very discouraging. You're like, oh my God, this is so bad. I will never be able to get this, etc. I feel so down when I speak with people about resume and stuff. 
but he has such a vibe that he really tells what he needs to tell and then it doesn't hurt you in any ways you just feel more encouraged and looking forward to take the next steps and that should be how mentors are i apologize if there's background noise i don't know why people are cleaning their lawns right now can you guys hear anything ah uh, we can but it's, it's not a big deal though a little bit yeah I mean, it's, it's not a big deal um going back right to the resumes for me personally, I'm, I'm, I think I'm my harshest critic, right, when it comes to resumes. So I always feel like I can't compete with other pre-med students. Um, so these, these people, like, straight out the bat, like, as soon as they came to UNC, like, other pre-med students, they'd get involved with so many clubs and so many different things just to build their resume, like volunteering experiences, shadowing, etc. For me, it was more of a learning experience. I was like, I don't want to do a bunch of things that I don't enjoy because if I don't enjoy them like then why am I doing this in the first place so in my experience of the last three years it's like I've been trying to find those clubs and those things that I personally enjoy and and find interesting so when it comes to resumes I think would you guys agree that experiences that you found enjoyable kind of stand out compared to just you know randomly filling it up with random things that you've accomplished Yes, definitely. Uh, in high school, I was like doing like uh, trying to build up my college application so that I did a bunch of things that I hated to do. <laughs> like some things really don't. Looking back, they didn't really matter, and they were the things that took me to college. I wish I spent time with more useful things like uh, I don't know, like the honor societies. What did we do with other societies? I don't remember doing anything, and I wrote it. It was just there to do it, put it on my resume. And did that help my resume? I don't think at all. Did that did that help my college application? Not at all. And things that I agree, like you do with passion, really stand out. And also, it stands out to the people that you're working with as well. Because, for example. In Pinkstream, re- I'm really doing this because I like doing it. No one could force me into this. And I'm trying to like recruit new people and get some volunteers to get them also teaching. But you can really see the people who are doing this for their resume and doing this to get for their college application and stuff. Because that passion really speaks. And if you listen to a class from a person who's doing this for a reputation versus doing this for passion, you can really feel different energies going in the classroom and you will, your learning experience will totally be, be different. Yeah, and, and to add to that, right? So speaking of my experiences in high school and how it got me here, I remember I used to volunteer at my hospital, right? My local hospital. And the jobs that, the jobs that they had me doing, I mean, if you asked me to talk about it, I would show no enthusiasm because it was, it was boring. Like, I understand overall, like, I was making a change in some capacity. Like, I was helping out the, off, like, the hospital workers, but it wasn't something that I enjoyed. Like, for example, I'd sit in a, like, closet restocking shelves for three hours, and mm. it was the most boring task. And I don't think I was allowed to listen to music or anything either. So it was like, it was so painful. That's how I spent my Sunday mornings. And I was just so drained after that. <laughs> but if you ask me to talk about that in an interview, 
it's not something that I could talk about comfortably because like I didn't enjoy it and you wouldn't see much passion out of me for from that topic. Yes. And like another thing is like um I think I think you know me and Rita because we're in the same field we can all we can both kind of agree that there are some things that we have to do just to get you know just to get past the stage of interviews so like i worked with i worked with uh three startups before and two of them have been unpaid um so and i'm looking to you know work on my my fourth one probably next semester uh before i go work full time for amazon um and like the reason i really did it was because i really want to obviously one build up my resume but then also i had a little bit of passion about you know some of the stuff they were doing right Um, so I want to actually ask you, cause I think this is something that I also struggle with is, um, if I have an idea, um, it's really hard for me to, you know, stay focused on it because once, especially like this, you know, with this podcast, you know, we have, we, there are times when we have a lot of support, we, you know, depends mm-hmm. on what guests we have. Sometimes we have a lot of support. Sometimes we don't get as much support. So it's very easy to get discouraged at times. And so like, what keeps you like motivated, uh, you know, especially with pink stream. Um, do you think it's just the passion or do you think is there something else that's more into the factor? Yes. So, uh, especially since I started Pinkstream in high school, if I was a junior, it was February 2018. And that time it was, people would view it as a high school project. They thought I wouldn't be interested or continue this in college. But I really had that passion and what kept me in this then and right now was the uh, face of the girls after they do something like that. Uh, you, you see a child being amazed of the work they did and that really makes a difference in your heart and gives you, keeps, makes you keep moving. And I think that was one of the biggest reasons I kept working. And I think it's... Uh, um, a good thing to have something that you do for the world generally. It, it doesn't need to be uh, always like teaching. It could be social justice. It could be anything. We are all created differently and all have different ways of impacting the world. And I discovered that this is the way that I make an impact that I enjoy. And that's what made me keep going. And definitely it's always not supportive. Sometimes you get, you open a class and then it fills out very quickly. Sometimes you ask people, no one comes in, the students are not interested, everything fails. (laughs) I had once, I remember very clearly, we had a classroom and then I bought kits. We're working with robotics kits, so I need to bring the equipment. I brought the equipment, and then the equipment charges died. And then there, I opened the class for 15 students. 20 students came in for no reason because they're sisters, brothers with people. And then I'm like exhausted. And then parents come in, parents are working with the children. I can't say go to the parents. And it was so bad. And at that moment, I even felt like I will never teach a class again. But after that, I like, tried to learn from that lesson and move over because it is much more than that. It, 
one experience, two experiences can be bad, but overall there's a good, it's a good mental relief for me to make an impact and it's a good thing for the world for young people doing things like yours or like mine or like other people who are keeping to work. We really need young people working because I think right now, mostly older generations are leading the world, which is not what we are want, really want. We want young voices, new ideas, yeah. and strong energy coming with the young generation. No, I think that's interesting you bring that up. Um, last year, right, I was taking an environmental class and my professor was telling us that like, I don't know, it was like some ridiculous statistic. It was like 60 to 70% of this, like this generation is going to be like, is going to have to make their own jobs because there's not going to be that traditional route of, you know, working for big corporations like Amazon and you know, Microsoft and stuff like that. They're like, you have to be entrepreneurs because, and you have to find more than one source of income because that's just the way that the world is trending towards nowadays. So I think it's interesting that you bring that up. And I think something that we haven't mentioned that we probably should talk about a little bit is um, what exactly is Pinkstream? I know you've alluded to it a lot throughout the podcast, but what is it specifically and how has it grown over the two years that you've been running it? So Pinkstream is an organization to get more girls, K through eight girls into STEM fields. We call it STREAM, which stands for Science, Technology, Robotics, Engineering, Arts, and Math. So uh, what we actually do is that we organize free courses and workshops in community centers and uh, so that we reach out to marginalized communities, especially. And then our topics can be electronics, robotics, coding, and we get girls a little spark of interest and a little spark of knowledge into their heads at a young age, so that if they're interested, they can continue on. We lead them towards the path of next resources they can use to uh, gain more knowledge, or if they don't decide to continue uh, like an elementary school student, we don't expect them to continue and become like a large electronics mind. But instead, in the future, when they come across with an environment where people are talking about electronics or building a robot, they say, oh, in the past, I learned about this. I went to a course and I can do this too. And then they jump into opportunities with much more confidence in the future. So that's our goal. And it was founded in 2000, February 2018. And how it happened is that uh, that year, like January, I came to America and then I was starting high school, just new and then like here learning English and stuff. And in the meantime, I was uh, exploring things. I was interested in robotics in Turkey as well. So when I came here, I was exploring new things. And I came across with this uh, kit called Snap Circuit, which is very popular. Um, and that happened so that uh, we have my sister's friend comes to our house and brings this kit and they play together. I watch them playing and then I'm surprised how passionate they are, they are 
playing with an electronics kid and I'm like, oh, I can actually teach you guys this. And then as they're playing, I'm showing like, oh, this is resistance. This is how the current moves in the circuit, etc. And they really like, and then two hours passes like two minutes. They were really like, oh, let's do it this more frequently. Why don't you come up to our house more? And then my sister's friend comes and I teach two of them electronics with snap circuits. And then people are like, oh, this is amazing. Why don't you give this to, give this opportunity to more girls, like organize our courses, some courses in the community center. I'm like, sure, why not? And then it just grew organically. It wasn't something planned. And then each step, my vision grew, my mission grew and my impact grew. And then we came right now who we are. We have, since 2018, we have impacted over 950 students. We have nine plus curriculums about 3D printing, 3D design, and then robotics, electronics, coding, and women scientists to introduce students to women role models, and those kinds of things. We're establishing partnerships with all kinds of organizations working with marginalized communities or any community general. This could be libraries, organizations, or uh, community centers, all kinds of places. And then as a collective impact organization, we bring our courses and curriculums into the communities and spread our impact. So how, how far is your outreach? So you've mentioned you're involved in so many communities. Is it international in the U.S.? Uh, it's currently in the U.S. I hope we can go to an international level. And that was my goal during this summer. But now as everything transitioned to online, it was hard to connect with people across the world. It's actually easier in some ways, harder in other ways. Mm -hmm. So currently, online education opened us an opportunity to grow to a national level. Now we can have students from anywhere across the United States. And we have three, four partnerships that we currently regularly organize classes. And then we also have events open to everyone and things like that. So do you I have like, is it like YouTube videos mostly? Um, I tried doing YouTube videos before, but mm -hmm. I see that for a, let's say, third grade old, third grade children to sit in front of YouTube to watch the video, that's a very far. Difficult, <laughs> yeah. Difficult. yeah. And I don't think, like for myself, even like for the college classes, if it's on Zoom, I'm much more inclined and interested joining it rather than watching the YouTube video. I don't know why, but when mm. something is live, I think it has a different... Yeah, it's just have more hands-on experience and like you can actually... I think, I think it just comes back to the whole thing you both were talking about, like doing robotics. I mm. never did robotics, but I've always been interested in it. I think it's like one of those things like... I've seen videos about it. Um, uh, what's his name? Mm -hmm. Mark Rower? Is that, is that his name? Do you know who I'm talking about? The YouTuber uh like he makes like he works at nasa i forgot his name man um <laughs> but uh so like he like he he's like a really cool youtuber i like watch a lot of his videos he's done like a lot of world records where you know he builds stuff uh because of his robotic knowledge uh and i've always wanted to do it um you know because i think just having the hands-on experience is so much important 
And I think that's something like we are really missing out on. Uh, I always learn by doing different projects instead of just being in a traditional classroom because that becomes boring to me. So I can definitely imagine someone that's in third grade, uh, you know, <laughs> trying to learn more about the STEM field, just being like, oh, I don't want to watch another lecture. Like I already do that, you know, nine to five, you know, nine to two, um, you know, every morning. So. I actually do want to know about, uh, you know, one of the things like I was, I was looking to ask is like, what is it about, how does it differ from something like, uh, you know, all of the coding boot camps that are available in Khan Academy? Cause like what I'm hearing is like, one of the things that you really provide is like, you want to make sure uh, the women in marginalized communities feel confident and they're able to find their place in the STEM fields, which obviously, unfortunately, unfortunately it's hard to do, you know? Yes. So, um, yes, that's a really good question, and I think that's really important. So, uh, first, I want to handle the case of Khan Academy. So, that is a platform really helpful for like adding on to your normal school classes. If you couldn't understand something, you go and watch. I watched the lecture, and then you learn. Uh, you learn the topic if you weren't able to learn in class, but I don't see a lot of people going on Khan Academy to learn, learn something new that they didn't know about. New. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or like a YouTube video. If you're not already interested in it, you wouldn't go into YouTube, search for a video, watch it and learn something new. I think that's why we are organizing classes in communities so that students feel they don't need to be interested in the topic. They don't need to know anything about it. They just sign up because it's free, maybe, or because they have some empty time or their parents sign them up. They come and learn something new, and it just happens naturally. Not that they are searching for hours, find a resource, watch it. It's a very much more harder thing for a K-8 grader to go in that direction rather than just popping into a workshop and then having fun with some STEM thing and exploring something new. So that's the case with online videos. On the other hand, with the robotics boot camps, uh, not last summer, but I think the summer before that, I was working at a coding boot camp. And what I saw was that uh, there are not many girls coming into the, the boot camps because they are generally expensive and generally therefore targeted to a specific kind of uh, stereotypical like boot camp kid. Therefore, male white, you know. Male white, yeah. <laughs> and therefore, uh, I don't find them very successful because thinking for myself too, if in high school that experience where I got into coding, would I sign up for that if it wasn't free? I, I think about it and my answer would be no, not because I couldn't afford it, but because I wouldn't find worth my time and money to sign up for something that I don't know about and I'm not interested. Right. Therefore, keeping our courses free, open to everyone is one of our biggest goals. So that even if they don't know anything about the topic and they don't want to come to the course, at least they can be, oh, this is a free course. <laughs> and just learn something out of it. 
Mm-hmm. I think I think what's interesting is, you know, you're addressing an underlying issue. And from our experience, just like talking with you now is that oftentimes we jump to the conclusion that, you know, deficiencies in like diversity in computer science is something that we see like in other countries like, you know, maybe India or, you know, those the less developed countries. But something that you're getting at is that there's a lot of that here in the U.S. itself. There's a lot of women mm-hmm. who don't feel empowered and don't feel, um, you know, that comp sci is accommodating for people of, you know, a female background or uh, like a different race, stuff like that. So what has been your experiences just, I guess, building those connections in the U.S. and seeing, you know, women learning about comp sci and developing an interest through your program? Yes. So first, uh, it's very interesting that I recently read an article, I don't remember where, but it was talking about the difference between the percentage of women in STEM in developed countries versus non-developed mm. countries, but this developed versus non-developed depends on the definition, but we're talking about the Western definition of what is developed and not developed. So it turns out that in less developed countries, there's actually more women in STEM. And as the country's developmentness increases, the number of women in STEM decreases somehow. And there is a lot of articles and people thinking about what is the reason why when it's more developed, women have more rights, women could be more involved. Why is the percentage decreasing? And there's a lot of people thinking about that. And I don't know the answer either. I don't know. In America still, uh, compared to other countries, women have many rights and then freedom. And do you, do you have any speculations? Do you have some like speculation what it could be, some reasons? Because that's, that's really interesting to me because like... Yeah, that... that's really interesting to me too. Mm-hmm. Because, for example, in conservative countries, I have seen this in my life too. Like, people are like, oh, you're going into a field with a lot of males. Would that be appropriate or not? Mm-hmm. But in America, we don't see this concern. No one, I don't think, would be concerned of going into a field of males would be appropriate or not. This is not that kind of... Uh, challenge they are facing there should be more underlying challenges maybe that shapes the way women think maybe i think is the way media shapes a woman because a woman is uh, shaped by the media to be feminine to be attractive and then like even we are in america and then women are supposed to be powerful, which is what the media teaches us. But when we look into the movies, women are the second characters who are the love interest. Yeah. Yeah, the love interest of the main character. So I think this is the underlying interest of we are pushing too much femininity on women. And maybe we don't want this. We want something different. And our mission in life shouldn't be to attract men it should be bigger goals wow yes so you know speaking of that topic um do you have some uh roadblocks that come in mind for women in marginalized communities um that you think that they go through currently 
So yeah. what are some of the common ones? Yeah, and also like, what do you think would be the best, um, you know, path of action in the future to get them in, you know, situations? Just close where, that gap somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. excelling. Yes. So, um, one of the biggest things I have been speaking with one of my mentors recently, and was that she said in conservative communities, not only the community around the girls feel um, that girls cannot achieve this only that actually doesn't apply to conservative communities in general it's not only that the community doesn't feel that the girls can't achieve something but it's beyond that the girls feel that they can't achieve it by themselves so for example uh, I have tried to convince this gets harder as girls grow up like I have tried to speak with girls in high school who say, oh, I want to be an engineer, but I can't do it. What should I do? And I'm like, just give it a try. Go into a major of STEM and then do it. But they're like, oh, there are so many boys. I don't want to do it. I will feel such an imposter. It's really hard to convince people that they can actually do it. And I feel like this conversation shouldn't be left until high school girls from earlier ages should feel more confident because it's the general trend that girls are less risk takers, they have less confidence in themselves, uh, and therefore we should be more supportive of girls in many directions, not only in STEM, but also in STEM as well. I think one of the uh, good points that you just raised was the, uh, the difference, you know, and you were talking about this before, I think, uh, with the with the article about why are there less percent of women as countries develop more. Uh, mm-hmm. I think one of the things that you just mentioned could be the answer, which is the whole concept of having a collectivist versus individualistic communities. So mm-hmm. I think as as countries become more developed, uh, people become more individualistic, right? And mm-hmm. one of the biggest ways that you can build communities is by having a collectivist act attitude, right? So if you have, uh, you know, we, we had a, we had a, uh, our recent guest um, and, uh, you know, he's African-American and he was really emphasizing the fact that one of the reason um, he's, uh, he's a founder of Black in Technology at UNC. So one of the reasons he talked about that, that became so successful is because of the community empowerment and community building and mm-hmm. having people like, you know, if you have women that, you know, can talk to other women in the same field. Um, so like, you, you know, we, we can, you can just talk about any developing country. I think over there, you know, let's say one woman gets a job in the STEM field in computer science, she's going to go and talk to 10 other women. And those 10 other women are going to talk to other 10 women. They all just kind of become a collectivist group and make a community mm-hmm. and then come together into the company, right? Where here in US, you know, you find yourself, um, you know, going into into this field or into any job in the future, and then you, you know, you're like basically you're all alone. Of, yeah, like you're. Yeah, you're home. basically you're you're basically alone. You're competing. It you know, you know the whole media in the U.S. basically makes it sound like you're competing on fair terms. You know, this is the land of the free. You're basically competing to be on the top, but it's not fair for everyone, right? Yeah. Just like with men and women, unfortunately, the you know men usually do tend to get uh, you know more just better roles and uh better opportunities in in careers and life and uh you know having a woman and a man and a person like a woman and a man like on the same path like they're not actually starting on the same level right so 
for women, you might have to climb a lot of like a lot of more steps just to you know catch up with the man that you know is in the same position with her. So, um, but when you're you know in a collectivist society, when you have a community of women, it obviously becomes much more easier, and then you're able to you know make your voice heard, which is I think what makes it different. Yes, definitely, I really agree on like it. Really makes I haven't think thought of that side of the things, and I have really seen in like developing countries like people are much more collectivist and share their experiences much more rather than in really individualistic societies like in America and I can really see how that would make a difference and that's a good point. I think we're going to have to wrap it up soon. I think we're reaching the hour and 15. So <laughs> kind of some closing statements. I have learned a lot already from, you know, how women are in STEM in developed countries versus less developed countries. But I just wanted to talk a little bit more about you. Um, talk a little bit about the um, the Google scholarship, the Generation Google Scholar. What What is that? And how did you get that? Oh, okay. So Generation Google Scholarship is a scholarship, $10,000 scholarship offered by Google for diversity aspiring computer scientists in uh, high school transitioning to college or for college students. I applied when I was from high school moving into college. I knew that I was going to do computer science because this was the thing since ninth grade. And then uh, I I've been doing things to prove that I like computer science, like joining the robotics team, learning coding classes, uh, from like classes online, like YouTube channels, like Coursera, Udemy, those kinds of things. And therefore I said, oh, let's give it a try and apply. I didn't expect this coming. <laughs> I, I think everyone who gets scholarship feels like that. Oh, I didn't feel this was coming. but. It turns out that uh, I am chosen as a Google Generation Scholar, and that that support also gives me a lot of hope that big companies are coming in this way of motivating more diversity. We still see people like Google. I, I think a few days ago it was it happened that uh, they fired an ethic, ethical AI researcher, and then who is a black woman and then there was a lot of protests and stuff so i don't know but i hope that the trend is that they're also moving towards more diversity in stem and supporting people who might need to climb more steps towards their goals and i am moving with that trend as well to get more people into it and pay off my scholarship by my work towards the communities uh, that's cool i mean i'd never heard of the google scholar until now and it's interesting to hear how you i mean at the end of the day you pursued your passion and i think in any walks of life as long as you do what you enjoy opportunity will come your way and i think yes, i think your experience with the generation google scholar is like that personified um and then the, the last thing i wanted to touch on was i saw on your linkedin that you're the co-founder of the unc immersive learning collective um yes can you just talk a little bit about that and, you know, how did it get started and, uh, you know, well, well, what What's is it next about? for you? Yeah. Like, you know, what are you looking to do next with the Immersing Collective and also with the Pink Stream? Yes, yes, definitely. 
Thanks for really asking that. That's a new thing I am exploring right now. I really like exploring new things, especially in computer science, which is a huge field to explore so many things. Like there is endless things and I don't know how we will learn so many things. Like in high school, I learned a little bit coding and I thought, oh, now I know a lot of coding. I can do a bunch of things. And then I come to college and then I realize I don't know anything. <laughs> and it's impossible <laughs> to learn anything like fully learn anything because knowledge is such a big thing that it's just impossible to reach all of it so that being said in immersive learning collective uh, we are using ar vr augmented reality virtual reality and bringing it to the classroom so that the digital learning uh, we are having in the current education environment is not is more interactive and immersive in immersive, we mean you get into the environment. For example, you're mm -hmm. learning a language. You immerse into the country that you're learning the language and experience it as you are learning it so that you're not learning from books, boring, like those kinds of things that you're just learning and then skipping over. You really experience and immerse in the learning. So it started as this summer. I was actually planning to go to Rome because we were going to build virtual reality tools in Rome and then it was a study abroad program but it got cancelled with corona so we were left with like nothing <laughs> and then yep. we were like why don't we build this here and then build a startup out of it and now we are working to bring immersive learning to campus we are working with educators on campus and also across the world to bring AR VR teachings into their learning and the next steps for me generally are that I will keep working on the ventures I am working right now which is Pinkstream and Immersive Learning Collective and then grow them go grow our impact at Pinkstream by establishing more partnerships and organizing more programs and also learn more in terms of computer science with classes and maybe a um, internship this summer i'm applying to internships and see what i can learn from them and then after i finish my degree generally people ask like what will you do mm -hmm. and that's a really good question <laughs> too early to answer that i am just a sophomore we'll see what the two years bring and maybe if I have like a huge venture, like Marcus Zuckerberg, like I will drop college and then move into that. <laughs> That's like a real possibility. <laughs> Otherwise, I might become an entrepreneur full time or maybe work a little bit in the industry and learn mm -hmm. some new skills, move into entrepreneurship later. We'll see what happens. That would be really, really cool. It has been an absolute pleasure, Rita. Um, yes, it was great coming to in. you too. Yeah, yeah it's, it's been awesome. And uh, do you have any last words for the audience before we depart? Yeah, words of inspiration, words of encouragement. Anything you want to plug in? I think like just take any opportunity. The things I have done for Pink Dream and for my life in general, the things that made the difference were the craziest ones. The ones that I said, like, this would be, it, this is impossible to happen, but let's see, like, maybe it happens and then something opens up from there. And then 
I just played for the small percentage of possibility and something worked out. So always try new opportunities and don't think it is impossible because it is possible. It happens. And then write your dreams. It's really important to write them. It makes you believe in yourself and it, it becomes the first action you take towards your dreams. And always keep writing your dreams. There will be always new ones. I have like a journal that I write mine and then I saw like a few days ago I look back and my dreams in like <laughs> elementary school middle school I like no <laughs> but they will be either they will either come true or they will be fun things to look back look back to so, <laughs> yeah cool but anyway to, to, to wrap things up um, we're of course on the streaming and uh, thank you for being on the show Rita We'll leave all the links in the description to Rita's organizations and clubs that she's involved in if you're interested and want to you know, join and get involved and help in her space. Um, and also we'll leave our social media and other stuff in the description as well. And uh, again, thank you for tuning in. Make sure you leave a like, subscribe, do whatever you have to do. We have, we're on so many platforms now at this point that it's hard to keep track of how you can, uh, I guess, comment on our stuff. But, but yeah. Keep dreaming, uh, y'all. We're, we're not so. doing that. We're not doing this. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, yeah, we're done. <laughs>